The way we choose to present ourselves is often an embodiment of our identity. It is a way for us to be able to express our different backgrounds and for people to perceive the aspects of our identity we choose to share. Here on campus, Princeton students have the freedom to choose their outfits and style their hair as they wish in a judgment-free and accepting environment. Or do they? Hi everyone, my name is Eden Tishoma. And my name is Senna Aldabash. Welcome to episode 9 of The Orange Table, where we will be covering black hair on campus. It's no surprise that black hair has been the subject of historical stigmatization and criticisms. However, is this stigma present on Princeton's campus today? What do black students have to say about the way that their black hair embodies their identity on campus? And does the university offer adequate accommodations for black hair? We will discuss all of this and more on this episode, so stay tuned. For this episode of The Orange Table, we interviewed four students. My name is Ajane McGee. I'm a junior in the English department and I'm currently a senior writer for The Prospect. My name is Imani. I'm a junior in the chemistry department and also the statistics and machine learning department. My name is Kari Franklin, class of 2024, and I'm the co-president of the Princeton Black Men's Association. Hi, my name is Khadija Benoit. I am class of 2023 and I am the current president of the Princeton Association of Black Women. We asked them about how they feel about their hair and any stigmas they may feel on campus. I've personally not observed any stigma. I've, I personally haven't experienced anything, thankfully. Um, I haven't heard anything from my friends. I don't know, from what, from what I can see, like the way that black students style their hair, there does appear, not to like knock other people's kinds of hair, but there does seem to be more like effort, like like less flyaways, like everything's just like very like, you know, like there just seems to be that implicit, like, okay, I need to like make myself, like and I feel that too. Like I, um, even when I just like put my hair in like a ponytail and I'm saying this someone who has like a slightly like looser curl pattern, like I feel like I need to just make sure that there are less flyaways. I haven't like seen anyone explicitly say like, oh, like people have made me feel weird about my hair, but there does seem to be like this um, kind of subtle like pressure. I'd have to speak from like my personal experience on that because like obviously I also have like privilege of being like, like a, like a black man in terms of like, I could kind of like wake up in the bed, like pick my hair out a couple of times and go to class. There's like always that pressure of like, you don't want to look bad or, you know, like come off a certain kind of way. So I do think that stigma exists in terms of like a lot of the spaces we can enter kind of have this like aesthetic or ideal of like you know pretentiousness or like very put together almost like ivory tower sort of that kind of aesthetic so it that can that can put a lot of like more pressure on black students to kind of keep up appearances. One thing that I noticed about being on campus is a lot of women myself included do a lot of hairstyles where our hair is like down more, like not a lot of, I don't really see a lot of Afros on campus. When I do, I get really excited. Um, I think that there's both a stigma on campus, like of just like having your hair out, but I think it's also internalized of like, if you've been fed your whole life, this message that your natural hair is not professional, your natural hair does not deserve to be seen or taken care of in these spaces, you, whether intentionally or subconsciously, learn to hide that aspect of yourself. Um, I love my natural hair. It's just really difficult wearing it on this campus and feeling seen and feeling beautiful. Um, and also just difficult to 
take care of it on campus because we don't always have access to those resources of going to the hair uh, shop or the bathrooms are disgusting. I personally don't really like doing my hair there. So I just kind of adjust how I do my hair to fit the fact that I go to a school that doesn't have a lot of spaces where I can kind of like get my hair washed, get my hair done. But I do think that there is an implicit message on this campus of what professionalism looks like. And a lot of times that does not include um, afros. A lot of times it doesn't include red wigs or platinum blonde wigs. Um, and I just think that that's really sad because those things are ways that black women express themselves. like. I think that black women hair care is so creative. There's so many different versatile styles that black women do. And to see that that isn't always able to happen on this campus due to a lack of resources and also the stigma of like having brightly colored hair or having your Afro out um, or wearing like really big dramatic lashes with like red colors or wearing long nails, like you don't see that as much on campus. And I'm hoping that that culture kind of shifts um, just because I'd like to see Black women be happy wearing whatever hairstyle they want to wear, not what they think that they should wear. Conversation on the stigma surrounding Black hair is not a new one, and we're not the first to cover the topic on campus. Back in 2019, former head editor for The Prospect, Ajane McGee, wrote an article centered around the experience of Black women and their hair on campus. We revisited the article with her. This is what she had to say about her experience on campus as a Black woman and the accessibility of products on campus. So back in 2019, you wrote an article for The Prince about navigating Afro hair care at a PWI like Princeton. What motivated you to write this article? Um, my own anxiety, to be quite honest. Um, I was very fortunate growing up to have a mom who um, braids hair. Like she, a lot of people at my church would come to her to have them braid their hair. And like a lot of pe people in my family, just larger community. So I never had to like worry about my hair being done. She was something that she always took care of me. And so um, I'm from Michigan. And so like moving states to come to school, I was like, oh no, I'm not going to be able to take care of my hair. Like I had been natural since I was in middle school and I knew I'd do some simple styles, but I was just worried that like I would get here and not know what to do. And then I was having a conversation with one of my male friends because I was thinking more of a like, uh, like female centric, right? But then he said that he had went to a local white barber and gotten a haircut and he was like not it was not a good haircut and so I was like okay so I'm not the only one who perhaps is having these like anxiety and fears about um navigating black hair care here and so it was um actually the first article I ever pitched to the prince and my editor thankfully was very receptive but I interviewed four um girls about their different hair care routines and how they navigate hair care um, and as you just noted in the beginning of the article, you grew up in Detroit, which has a significantly larger black population than Princeton, and therefore like the businesses cater more towards black hair. Um, for you, how was the shift from being able to like walk into most stores and find exactly what you needed to like finding little here or anything at all? Again, I'm used to, I'm coming from a place where there were just like beauty supply stores with just like so many different kinds of products, like pretty much on every major street. And then I go here, and there's like this one like multicultural hair aisle and I was like, what? <laughs> and so like I identify as first generation low income, so I didn't come into Princeton with very much money. And like a lot of the products, the few selection of products that they have that I knew were good quality, I could not afford at the time. So I ended up using products that probably weren't the best for my hair. 
Um, but since I've been at Princeton and I've like worked more and I've kind of like developed my savings, I've been able to, um, and also some other like hair care initiatives that I've appreciated along the way, I've been able to like use products that are better for my hair. And I feel like my hair currently is in a much better state. We also interviewed Imani about her hair journey. She focused her conversation around how her current locks reflect her identity on campus. You went through a hair journey. What motivated you to want to embrace your natural hair? I've had a really difficult past with my natural hair. Like a lot of people from um, early 2000s like generation, um, when I was growing up, my mom permed my hair. And my hair used to be really long. It used to be like, um, it used to be past my bra strap. And then when my mom started perming it, it started to get um, damaged. Um, so my hair just got shorter and shorter. Um, so I didn't really know that my hair was curly until I did the big chop. And I did the big chop in my sophomore year of high school. Because I was just used to thinking that beautiful hair was nice straight hair and you can get the big blow up, like the Dominican blowouts. Um, or if my hair wasn't in like a blowout, it was in like box braids. And when I did the big chop, I cut it all the way down short. Um, and that's when I thought that my hair was curly. And I did not know that my I had the curls in my hair because if my hair wasn't permed, it was in braids. Um, and I was growing out my hair. I thought I was a sophomore in like 2017. And I noticed that my hair would not pass the awkward length, like past the bottom half of my ears. And so I just started to like resent my hair. Like I liked my curls. I just didn't like how short it was. And I did not like the fact that from being in Boston, I have to pay 180, sometimes $200 to get box braids and I'm spending so much money on products. Like I used to do the LOC method, like leave-in conditioner, oil, and then like a cream to get the curls. And my aunt has locks. She's had locks for like five years now. And being somebody who is Caribbean, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, a lot of, I know a lot of people who do have locks. And during the pandemic, uh, April 12, 2020, I was like, you know what, I wanna start locks. Uh, because locks are low maintenance, um, which is what helps hair growth. A lot of people who see like breakage is because you're manipulating your hair too much. Um, locks are low manipulation because you're not getting your hair done every month or you should not be. Um, that's one. Two was that I want to be able to do my hair myself um, to add to lessen the cost. Because one, you're not supposed to be putting a lot of products in your hair when you have locks. And then two, I don't have to pay anyone to like do my hair. Like I could do it myself if I wanted to. And then three was that I just, like you said, I wanted to embrace what my natural hair was, what my natural state was. Um, I just wanted to go back to my culture, go back to my roots. I always told myself that when I become like an old lady, then I'll grow my locks. But I was like, you know what, why don't I just start now? I think you already touched on this, but what's the relationship between your hair and your identity for you? For me, my hair kind of defines who I am and my culture. Now that I have my locks, I just feel more connected with Caribbean people, like my people's culture. Um, I know that when you are Caribbean, um, people make jokes that, oh, you're Rasta now, you're Rastafari. Um, so like, it's more lighthearted, but I know that there's more, particularly in America, there's more backlash against people having locks against, oh, they're dirty, they're unkempt, you don't look professional. Um, and I think that's also a big problem to when a lot of people who don't know about law culture, particularly like black Americans when they get, or people not even just black Americans, anyone who's just in America and is not really connected to Caribbean culture start getting locks. They think that they can treat locks like box braids. And that's why a lot of people end up having thinning locks or like tension alopecia. 
is because locks are not meant to look quote unquote neat as we have defined them by white American standards um, or Western standards. Your locks are like a, a like a, like a plant; they grow. And if you are once like you need to get your maybe you get your locks retwisted every month when you first start your journey, but once you're here like fully locks, you should not be getting it done every month. That's over manipulation. And that's not the point of why you got locks of why people get locks. Um, so then more specifically to like the experience being a Princeton student, how have you navigated hair care while being a student on Princeton's campus before you got your hair locked now when your hair has been locked? Well, my freshman year specifically, I think it was a lot more easier because a lot of the seniors, the class of 2020, there are a lot more girls who knew how to do hair or that openly said, I'm like, I'm able to take clients to do hair. I mean, it sucks having a communal shower, but in my res college, I was in a res college that had three black seniors in it. And we would all wash our hair at the same time on Sundays and take up the entire bathroom washing our hair. But as like, we went into the spring right before we got kicked off campus, like the seniors were working on their thesis. There was less people willing to do hair. Um, so I would just wait until I went home, got box braids and then not refresh them until I went back home or I'd like, if I, anybody could do hair, I'd be like, hey, can you just do the, my edges for me? Cause I don't know how to braid. I don't know how to corner. I don't know how to do anything, but two strand twists. And so just ha- being able to have like have locks, I could do my hair, my own hair if I wanted to. Most of the time now, I actually don't mind paying for it because it's much cheaper than 180. Every time I want like box braids, it's usually like $60 to get a retwist. And sometimes I just want to be pampered. So that's to me the biggest, the best part about having locks on campus. So I don't have to go searching across the entire earth to find somebody who knows the braid here or to buy here in the first place because there's like no hair store in this area. The conversations we've had so far have centered on women. Black women usually dominate the conversation on hair care, but in an area like Princeton, access to black male hair care is also an issue. We interviewed Kari about his hair as a black man and what the PBMA has done to address it. So we're at Princeton, a predominantly white institution, and it's situated in a town that doesn't have many businesses, if at all, that cater towards black hair care. Can you speak to the biggest areas to male hair care on campus? I mean, like all black hair, like it's very diverse as far as like the needs in the community. Like they're so some of the solutions that people have found are going to other students on campus who are experienced with like black hair care. So I know several of my friends might uh, go to someone who knows how to like twist hair or do locks and on campus and that's one solution. The other thing we've been doing is we brought a barber to campus because one of the largest barriers to like getting a haircut, which is obviously like really important for a lot of people is the cost because to find a barber or like a reliable barber, you either have to go to like Trenton or New Brunswick or a surrounding area. So between like an Uber cost, like a train ticket there and back and the haircut itself, it can be between like 50 and $60 for like one haircut, you know, and when ideally if someone wants to get a haircut like every two, three weeks, like it really adds up. So we um, got funding to bring a barber here as one solution. I know there are a lot of other creative ways that people have found to kind of navigate that. And has the university directly facilitated any of these programs? Specifically, the CAFS, the Carly Field Center, has like acknowledged the issue and done a lot to help support us as far as like funding goes, especially. So the barber that we brought here to campus was through the Carly Field Center funding. The university as a whole, I guess, I maybe they're not like aware of that 
being an issue or perhaps like no one's reached out to them, but I've not seen this addressed by anything much outside of the Crowley Field Center. While the PBMA has to bring in barbers themselves, the Princeton Association of Black Women has a little help from the university. We interviewed Khadijah, the president of the PABW, to get a glimpse into what has been done to get hair products into the hands of Black women. So the PABW is doing a series of beauty supply trips with the Crawley Field Center this spring. What was the process of coordinating those trips? Who approached who about it? Um, so I was reached out to by Tennille from um, the CAF. Um, and she thought that it would be a really great resource for Black women to have like hair care supplies or be able to have easy, easy access to get them just because, I mean, we're in the middle of Princeton, New Jersey. There's not really that many beauty supply stores here, if any. Um, there's not really a lot of ways to get to them because the only free transportation going out of Princeton um, stops at Target um, in that general area, which doesn't have a beauty supply store um, for Black women. Um, and I just believe that like hair care is a very important part of Black women's identity. And it can be a struggle on this campus. I know it has been a struggle for me on this campus at times. And so as soon as we heard about that opportunity from uh, the CAF, we definitely um, went along with it. Um, Tanil was a really big help in just making sure we can get the resources and the funding for it. Um, and we just had to coordinate which dates um, we wanted to have the shuttles on and also make sure that we can advertise for it. Um, so I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to work with uh, the CAF to be able to um, provide this resource. Um, and it also goes by Walmart, which comes in clutch because they just have a lot of stuff. At the end of the day, we're students on Princess campus who have to take care of our hair. So we asked everyone if the university has a responsibility to accommodate black hair care on campus. Um, yeah, I definitely think so. I Specifically because this univers university as like an institution, it's very demanding. It takes a lot of hours out of the week to um, complete all of your assignments for class, but also engage in extracurriculars, but also like if you have a job like I do, just a lot of time out of the week. And as I'm sure you know, like taking care of your hair as, as a black person, it also takes a lot of time out of the week. And so if they could help with streamline that process by like having the products readily accessible, because I feel like that alone just takes like a lot of time for me, like having that readily accessible um, and just like being more open about that. Like, I don't know why it's such, it's just not something that's really discussed and I don't know why, um, but it is like a fact of life. And so like, yeah, I definitely think um, there seems like to be like this added like labor extra time that black students have to exert just to make themselves because there's also like the politics of hair, right? Like are black students really allowed to have messy hair days the way that other students are? I don't think so. So there's like this added labor and added time. And I feel that, you know, in order to be more inclusive of black students, you could definitely do more to like facilitate that space. I was actually talking to my mom about this. I had asked her to go to the hair store um, right next to our house and, uh, if she could send me down, I have it with me, the wild hair growth oil. I will go into CVS because usually like in Boston, I can go to CVS and find wild hair growth oil or vitamin E oil or just stuff like that. The area of Princeton doesn't have any things like that that I could buy it. So I've been struggling for the past like three months because I didn't have wild growth hair oil. And that's the, the oil that I like to use in my hair. It's what it let us grow in so far. And so I think that there is some kind of responsibility on 
the U store or CVS or any, even just like a little convenience store to just to supply some basic black hair care? I would say so, especially considering how important like black like aesthetics and like, you know, hair care is to like, you know, African-American people or, or just people of diaspora in general. Like obviously like the university can't like set up like a barbershop, I guess like a private business, but there are like certain things such as, you know, like the university store, for example, could offer like more diverse products and stuff and funding could be more readily available um, for people to be able to like, go get like haircuts and take care of themselves. Or in fact, like, you know, if the if person does want to like bring it, cause even with the, what the PBMA is doing right now, like the barber that we've been bringing to campus, there's still like a lot more demand obviously cause one person can only do so much, so. Of course they do. If you are going to, as a university, use your diversity um, as a selling point, as one of the selling points for your university and for why black women should consider coming to this school, you need to make sure that you're putting your money where your mouth is and provide the resources that we need to feel seen here, that we need to feel safe here, and that we need to just even feel beautiful on this campus. Because sometimes even that can be really hard to be in a predominantly white space as a black woman um, with your natural hair, with your braids, with whatever hairstyle you enjoy wearing. Sometimes like it's really hard to feel seen or just like get your hair done um, and things of that nature. And so being able to support those things should be a priority for the campus because it is something that's important to black women um, and even to their emotional state. Because for me, when my hair isn't done, I feel sad. The conversation around black hair and accessibility of products on campus is important. The university has the money and the resources to offer these products to students. So why haven't they already? Part of promoting diversity is being inclusive and being accessible to all students. So if Princeton is genuine in their emphasis on diversity, they need to be more accessible to black hair. So to the university, we've made the case. It's your call now. This episode was written by Sena Aldabash and Eden Tishoma, sound engineered by Eden Tishoma, and produced under the 146th Managing Board of the Prince. You can catch more of The Orange Table on dailyprincetonian.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening and have a great day.